City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. Uh, but it's also Mother's Day, and I thought one of the ways that, I, that I'd start out is by talking about uh, one of the things that my mother passed on to me. My mom passed on to me a number of things, a number of significant and important things, but today I want to talk about one that's kind of, kind of fun kind of not that big of a deal, kind of not that serious, and that's this. As much as I hate to admit it, and I'm glad that she's not here this morning to hear me say it, my mom actually has really good taste in music. Uh, and I don't like to admit that when she's around, because it kind of goes to her head a little bit, and she starts recommending bands to me, and I don't want to hear it. But to be honest, absolutely, my mom has great taste in music, and always, uh, growing up around the house, if we were cleaning, there was music on. If we were in the car, more music. Anything we were doing, music was always around. And all the time we do that. And it's funny that now my kids get to experience that same thing. I cannot wash dishes without good music playing. It's, it's just, you just can't do it. Everything I do, I want music around me. And I think most of us have this experience. Most of us love music in one way or another. It's a big deal in our lives. Think about it. When you go to a wedding, you go to the service and it's beautiful, but when does the party really start at a wedding? When the DJ puts on Celebrate Good Times. Right? That's when the wedding has started. I, I remember I, I did a streak of weddings, like five weddings in a row, and there was the same DJ uh, here in the Tampa Bay area who did them. His name was Frank, and he's the best wedding DJ in town. He's incredible. And, and I always was amazed because you would think, you know, oh, we'll start, the, start it out with some, some big hit, you know. Let's do some big hit music from today, and that'll keep, get people to the dance floor. No, no, no. He knew. You start with, like, disco hits that everybody loves, and that's what gets people out on the dance floor. And then you slide in the more modern stuff. That's how you know a good DJ. And we know that, and we love music like that because it's our cue to celebrate, Right? When we, our family, comes on at a wedding, we all get up and dance. We love music in that way. And it's not just, not just that. It's also, think about the last time that you had to get hyped for something. Whether it's you had a big sales call at work, whether you're about to do some sort of competition, what do you do? Whether it's on the car ride on the way there or something else, you put on that music that gets you going. You put on that music that gets you psyched, that gets you hyped. We use music to do that. But it's not just the good times. It's not just we want to get hyped. Music also has something for us when we're sad, right? Uh, one songwriter uh, put it this way, that the sound of loneliness in music makes me happier. Or maybe you prefer pop music a little more. The four right chords could make me cry, right? We have this idea that music is not just for when we're happy, but it's also uh, a balm. It's a way of processing our emotions when we're sad. And what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at a psalm. And we've been going through the life of David for the past few weeks. And as we continue to go through the life of David, what we're going to do is stop every few weeks. And as we stop, we're going to look at songs that David wrote in those specific times in his life. Because for David, music was a way of him processing what was in his heart, of him thinking through what's really going on in my life, how can I express this? 
So last week we heard the story of David and Saul and this guy named Doeg the Edomite. And you remember if you were here last week that Doeg the Edomite was a bad guy. He was a sneaky guy. He was a tricky guy. And because of Doeg's actions, David was on the run. David was living in a cave. And not only that, David had gone and, and sought the help of a priest. And Doeg went to Saul and tattled on this priest. said, you know who knows where David is? This, this priest knows where David is. And because of Doeg's actions, Saul became angry. And he decided that he was going to kill this entire family of priests. And when he turned to the generals of the land of Israel and said, I want you to kill this priest and his family, none of the people of Israel would do it. So guess who carried it out? Doeg. And so David is reflecting on this moment. He's reflecting on what it means that now just him going and visiting a priest has caused the death of an entire village. And so the way that David begins to work this out is by writing a psalm. He wrote Psalm 52 for this reason. So what I'd like to do is have everyone stand up, and I'm going to read Psalm 52 out loud. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. And so stand with me as we read God's Word together. This is Psalm 52, which is written to the choir master. It's a psalm of David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul that David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Here's what it says. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you up from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and sought refuge in his own destruction? I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. This is David processing what is going on. David making sense by writing it down, almost journaling, but journaling in poetry. How do you make sense of the fact that God has called him to be king? God has made him the chosen one who would lead the people of Israel. And yet, every one of his actions, especially in this moment, seems to bring death and destruction at the hands of others. How do you process this? And it's interesting that he addresses this song to Doeg. And he starts out with a really sort of sarcastic thing. Did you notice the first thing he said is, why do you do this, O oh, mighty man? 
which is really David kind of being sarcastic. The best way to think of it is, think of it like the way that you use the word big shot. Right? Rarely do you ever use the word big shot to, to be a good term. Right? If you call, oh, that guy thinks he's a big shot. Right? There's a, there's a little bit of shade just inherent in the term big shot. There's a little bit of, you know, eh, that's kind of sarcastic just by saying it that way. And that's exactly what David does. And so what I want to do is go through and show what David is pointing out and what God is pointing out through David about Doeg. And the first thing is that as you look at what he says about him, he is saying that he uses his words like weapons. You see, what most of us know is one of the most destructive things that we have are our words. That our words can tear down. That our words can hurt. And it's interesting that in this case, that's exactly the case. Before Doeg killed anybody with his sword, he brought the judgment of Saul down on them with his words. It was him tattletaling. It was him snitching on David that caused the death of this entire village. And it makes us think of the way that we use our own words and the way that we experience the words of See, one of the difficult things in our lives is that the more and more we're vulnerable with another person, the more and more honest we are with somebody else, whether that's a friend, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a family member, the more and more vulnerable we are, the more and more ammunition we're giving somebody else. Think about it this way. Who has hurt you the most with their words? It's probably not somebody you don't know. It's not somebody out there. Think about this. When somebody yells at you in traffic and calls you a name, how offended do you get? Not that offended, right? They don't know me. They're just yelling at me because I didn't know where I should have turned. No big deal. How about when somebody you love uses a word, uses a phrase that you know that they know will cut you deep. You see, as we are more and more vulnerable with others, we're giving them more and more of the ammunition to hurt us. And we are responsible for the words that we use with other people because words are power. And that's exactly what Doeg was doing. Doeg was trying to secure his place in the nation of Israel by using his words to affect when he said, I know where David is. I know a priest who helped him. I know these things. When he is whispering those things to Saul, what he's doing is grabbing up as much power as he can. He is using his words to gain power. And that, that same dynamic is true in our life and our culture. Think about it this way. Have you ever met somebody who was successful and powerful who was not our Just about everyone that you've ever met that was successful and powerful was able to use their words to get there. Think about our culture's obsession with TED Talks. Right? Have you seen this TED Talk? I saw a TED Talk. There was a TED Talk that I really liked. Can I tell you about this TED Talk? And you watch those TED Talks and you watch those people on YouTube giving these great things and telling you how 
somebody's going to change the world with this idea. When you read that, when you see that, when you listen to that, what do you see? You're seeing somebody powerfully use words. And in the case of Doeg, he is powerfully using his words for evil and not for good. To the point where David, as he finishes um, saying what it is, as he finishes critiquing Doeg, he says, look, the real problem with Doeg is this. He's trusting in his own riches and he's trusting in his idols. You see, your problem in mind is the same problem as Doeg's. Our problem is that we trust in the things that we have, our riches and talents, and the things that we want are idols instead of trusting in God. We think that if we just had a little bit more money, we can do whatever we want. That it makes us invulnerable. If I just had a little bit more money, everything in my life would be fixed. We think that I can use my talents to get out of this situation. You know what? When this officer pulls me over, I know that I can cry on command, and so I can get out of this speeding ticket by crying. That doesn't work as well for us fellas. But nevertheless, we, that's a small way that we trust in our talents and not in God. And he ends it by saying, the thing that Doeg trusted in was the very thing that destroyed him. City Church, if we are trusting in anything but God to bring us fulfillment, to bring us flourishing in our life, that ultimately will be the thing that destroys us. If you think that the flourishing in your life, the good in your life, is going to come if you were just secure, if you can just protect your kids and your family from anything bad, if you think that that's what's going to bring you flourishing, what David's saying is, no, actually, that's the very thing that's going to destroy you. Because you will turn so inward in chasing that security. If you think that influence is going to be the thing that makes you flourish, if you just had more influence, then you would really flourish in your life. You'll be constantly chasing it, and it'll never be enough. If you think that comfort is going to be what brings you flourishing and fulfillment, that will ultimately be the thing that destroys you. David says, whenever we trust in something, Besides God. It always promises to give us life and flourishing. And all it delivers is death and wrongness. And so some of us are just like Doeg. Trusting in those things. Others of us, well we do this a little bit differently. We would never say that we're trusting in our influence. We'd never say that we're trusting in our security. We would say that we're trusting in all of the good things that we do for God. You see, we can be guilty of this in one way by ignoring God, but we can be guilty of this in another way by trying to use our works to manipulate God, to gain His favor. You see, some of us trust in the work of our hands in a religious way and say, look, you know how I'm going to succeed? Do you know how I'm going to find security and influence in all these things? It's by praying every day. And we're not praying 
because we love God and are worshiping Him. We're praying because we're trying to manipulate God. I have not missed my community Bible reading, my quiet time, in six months. Therefore, God's going to give me what I want. God's going to fulfill the desires of my heart. And what David's saying is not only do we do this by holding up our actions and saying, I should have influence, but we also do this by holding up our religious actions. When we do anything, even good things, out of a sense of duty, or a sense of trying to garner God's favor, all we're doing is putting astroturf over graves. All we're doing is taking dead bones and trying to pretend that they're good things. All we're doing ultimately is not trusting in God, but trusting in the work of our own hands. And we're just painting it with religious colors. And what does God say to Doeg in this psalm? He says that he's going to uproot him from the land of the living. That he's going to snatch him out of his tent. Now as we read that, to our ears, to our very modern ears, that is a little uncomfortable, isn't it? That God's going to take Doeg and he's going to kill him. David says it slightly more poetically, but at the end of the day, David says, you know what God's going to do to evil Doeg? He's going to kill him. When we start to think about that, that makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? That makes us a little squeamish. Why? Why does that make us a little uncomfortable? Because in our culture, one of the things that we are absolutely uh, scared of is the idea of being judgmental. Right? Why? Because we have seen people, especially religious people, weaponize judgment. And this is not something that's new to our generation or even the past few generations. This is something that has gone on throughout time, that we have weaponized the idea of judgment. That we have used it as a way to gain power and influence over others is by screaming and crying out their judgment. And yet here we have this passage where God says about Doeg that he's going to rip him out of his tent and uproot him from the earth. What's going on here? What we're seeing in this passage is not just judgment, but we're seeing something bigger and deeper. What we're seeing is a picture of the holiness that God is holy. That God cannot stand the presence of this sort of pride. And we don't often think about the holiness of God. But when we think about something like judgment, it's interesting the way our culture works this out. We are absolutely allergic to the idea of judgment. But do you know what we love? We as a culture love the idea of justice. We love the idea of God being for all the poor and powerless. We love the idea of God taking care of those who can't take care of themselves, of the church being an agent of justice in the world. We love that idea. But any time we divorce that idea from the judgment and holiness of God, we are missing something. Because you know how God serves justice? Out of holiness. Do you know how God defended 
the family of Ahimelech? Through the judgment of Doeg. You see, what's hard for us is in our culture, we want justice without judgment, and that is simply nonsense. Because you can't have one without the other. But as we think about that, we get uncomfortable. Because we start to realize something. I start to realize something. That if I say that I want God to be both just and holy, I begin to look at my own life and say, that puts me on the outside. But if God is going to be holy and just towards me, I am guilty of using my words to gain power and influence just like Doeg. And my sense is that so are you. But David shows us another thing. It's interesting that David weaves one idea, one word, through this entire psalm. When he sort of critiques Doeg at the beginning, when he says, who do you think you are, Mr. Big Shot? He says, because God has steadfast love. And then what does he say as the psalm goes on that he is placing his trust in? He's placing his trust in the steadfast love of God. Now, this is a little bit strange to us because on the one hand, we don't use the term steadfast very much. If I was to say to my wife, I steadfastly love you, she would look at me, probably put an eyebrow up and say, what are you talking about? Right? Because we don't use that terminology anymore. And what's even harder is, it's because this is an idea that is woven through the entire Old Testament. Whenever we talk about God's relationship to mankind, especially in Hebrew, and especially in the Hebrew Bible, this word comes up again and again. Why does God bring the people out of Egypt? Because of his steadfast love. Why does he bring them into the promised land? Because of his steadfast love. What do the Psalms remind us of that is new and fresh every morning? It's the steadfast love of God. Why does God bring the people of Israel back out of exile at the end of the Old Testament? Because of his steadfast love. So what is it? It's interesting that this idea of steadfast love is God's covenant faithfulness to us that God will be absolutely faithful to his people, that he will not abandon them, that he will not let them go beyond his reach. The word that's used here is, is chesed. I said that with a nice little Hebrew inflection there. Thank you very much. Which may not make sense to us until you hear another word that we have heard in English a little bit more, Hasidic. The Hasidic Jews are the ones that you may have seen either on TV or if you've been in New York, they're the ones that have the curly sideburns going down. They wear the hats and the all black. The very traditional Jews. Why are they called Hasidic Jews? Because they are absolutely loyal and faithful to all the laws of the Old Testament. That same word, that same word is that God is absolutely loyal and faithful to his people. That no matter how far you go, no matter how far David's life is going to go off the rails, and hang in there, it's not going to go good. Things do not all get better from here for David. But do you know what's consistent in David's life? 
Not David's behavior. Not David's deserving of God's love. God's love's faithfulness to David. But this idea of God being faithful is a two-edged sword. Because not only is God faithful to his love, but he's faithful to his judgment. He's faithful to his holiness. Which points us back to the beautiful time when the Hased, the covenant faithfulness, the absolutely steadfast love of God met with His holiness, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there we see Jesus, the one who never trusted in His riches, who never trusted in idols, who always placed His trust in God. Take the punishment that you and I deserve. You see, the cross is God being faithful to you by taking the wrath that your holiness or that your unholiness and mine deserve. That God, who could not allow anyone unholy into His presence, said, here's what I'll do. I will fix that for you. I will take the punishment for you. I will die the death of a covenant breaker so that I can be covenantally loyal to you. I will love you steadfastly, not because of anything you've done, but in spite of what you have done. And what I'll do is I'll give you the loyalty of Jesus. You see, when God looks at us through the death of Jesus, what he sees is not our unfaithfulness. What he sees is not the ways that we act more like Doeg than we care to admit. Not the way that we use words against those that we love. Not the ways that we try to gain power and influence by trusting our own. No, what he sees is the perfect life of Jesus. Because we are found in him if we are trusting in him. And what's interesting is this is exactly what David is expressing. That it's not anything that David can do. Good works, religious works, or even bad works. No, it's the steadfast love of God. And as we begin to see this, as we begin to say, Yes, I need to turn from the ways that I act like they like. Turn from the ways I trust in my riches, I trust in my talents, I chase after my idols. As we turn from this and look in love and trust to Jesus who did it for us, we become like an olive tree. Just like David said in the song. And it's interesting that the olive tree is a metaphor used throughout the Old Testament for two things. One is the idea of flourishing. You see, we think that our idols will bring us flourishing, but the only thing that really brings us flourishing is trusting in the steadfast love of Jesus. That's what really brings us full life. Not influence, not power, not security and comfort, but rather the full life of someone whose sins are forgiven and who is sent out on mission for Jesus. And not only does it bring us full life, but it also makes us a blessing to others. Olive tree is a metaphor for one other thing. It's a metaphor for worship. You see, the olive tree, the olive oil that was pressed out of it, was used in worship throughout the Old Testament. Which is an interesting contrast, because what is Doeg doing? He's using his words to cut like a razor against God's people. And what does the olive tree do? The olive tree reminds us that our words can be used in a beautiful way to worship God. And so as our hearts are transformed, as we see that we are the poor and powerless in need of God, 
and that God's justice was carried out on Jesus on our behalf, we become worshipful in the way that we see life around us and the way that we use our lives. May God do that in your heart. Let's pray.